in the 21st century Hard-working people working hard for you and me Moving higher time and time again Through the years you'll find us here Moving higher Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 198. This is a special little deal that I wanted to put back together with Rich Potson. So Rich was on 196, and I posted that here a while back, oh, like a, earlier in the week, and some news came out that kind of revolved around what we were talking about in uh, Moving Iron Podcast 196. I wanted to get Rich back on. But before that, this edition of Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Dawson Tire and Will, your premier ag tire and wheel provider in North America, helping people grow. Tractor Zoom, delivering insights, and dry shod boots, the official work boot of the Moving Iron Podcast. Rich, thanks for being back on the podcast, man. Thanks, Casey. Glad to be here. So what I got Rich back on here for was a couple things. One, Citibank put out a an article like two and a half hours after I posted uh, 196 with Rich. And basically, Citigroup was saying that the dollar may drop up to 20% next year based around... Um, how how well does these vaccines work in twenty one in twenty one when they get released uh, get released so wanted to get him back on and get his kind of reaction to that and also Goldman Sachs came out and slashed what their uh, prediction for the fourth quarter GDP was um, in half basically surrounding around the stimulus package and what that looked like the a lack thereof uh, going through that last quarter of this year in twenty and then. Basically, in 21, first quarter and second quarter GDPs, they came back with a uh, an overwhelmingly roaring GDP um, kind of prediction. I'm guessing that's around um, because of some stimulus work and, and then what we see happen with the vi- the vaccine as well. So, I guess, Rich, what's your two big two big cans of worms opened up there? But and whichever one you want to start with first is fine. But what's your reaction to that and kind of what's your thought to those to those uh, two news articles that came out. Yeah, my first reaction when I saw the 20%, I said, oh, i got to track down that article and read it. And I, I'm, I'm concerned that they're taking what would normally take several years and just putting it all into one year. And I, it seems, even though they claim it's the largest or would be the largest decline since 2000 to about 2002, maybe to 2004, uh, and here they're saying, well, it all will occur in one year. And I think I think the dollar fell like 33% back in that period. I could, I could be wrong. I got a chart in front of me, but I don't have my little measuring device to tell me the percent. Um, their theory behind it, I believe, is that if you bring on the virus next year, everybody's going to feel like, oh, we got this lick. Don't worry about this whole virus scenario. Yes, the economy is going to do better. You know, let's get out, do business, let's spend, shop, have a good time. And I think that supports also the inflation side of things that were due for better inflation. And of course, a better economy can also lead to a better inflation. In fact, that's normally how it works. So to me, it just encourages them to uh, say, you know what, there's a lot of pent up selling in the dollar if you can bring that vaccine into play and put everybody's mind at ease so they can basically just get out and do whatever it is they want to do. Go get them, in other words. Right. And I, I kind of get it, but I think, uh, yeah, and and the, I think what they're looking at is that p- 
people sometimes buy the dollar as a safe haven, just like they might buy gold when they're expecting inflation, they'll buy gold. If they're expecting deflation, the opposite of gold, they'll buy the dollar. And the confusing thing when it comes to dollar trading is the dollar can also go up just because of higher interest rates. So they would buy it because of that. So the weird thing is, just because the dollar is going up doesn't mean you necessarily have a bad economy. But there is times that that's exactly why the dollar is going up. You do not have a good economy. And uh, this occurred back in the financial crisis. The dollar was coming down. And in fact, I got the chart in front of me. And you can just see all of a sudden it just exploded in, in late 2008 to the start of 2009 as the stock market just plain crashed, just plain fell out of bed and hit the hard floor, right. <laughs> hit the floor hard, right? Yep. Uh, so you can see that. So I think City's saying things are getting better and they're going to get a heck of a lot better, but some of this risk off of our money and some of these investments, uh, and it's in the dollar, you're not going to suck those that money right out of the dollar side of things and put it into other things, which could be commodities, it could be real estate, it could be just rebuilding businesses. My theory is there's another side to it that is not just about the U.S. as much as it is globally. And let's face it, the dollar and currency is really about the global market. I mean, you don't see money walking in McDonald's to buy a hamburger and saying, well, where's the dollar today? Right. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. We just yeah. buy it, right? And, and it's in our dollars and we understand it. So and so it may very well be that cities on board with me, this is this is what they're really thinking, is it's really more the global investor as well as US investors who invest globally that are saying, get out of the dollar. And you're going to get into these other currencies for these other countries because those other countries are going to do better. And I get that very well because the global economy really did not recover all that well from that 2008-2008 crisis right up into 2018. And then it slid, slid into a recession from 2018 to 2020. If anything, my whole forecast on the economy, the, the global economy actually worked a bit better and started out right on time at the earliest time, followed through nicely. So I get that. If we're going to get a better economy, you can actually start raising those currencies, not because they're panicking over those over those countries at all. They're, they're, it's the way they need to flow their money. You're going to see maybe even Americans investing in foreign countries uh, into those stock markets. And I must say, just after the election uh, tonight, even I updated my podcast people here and <laughs> France stock market exploded. Germany's looking firm. Uh, the Nikkei Japan index exploded to a record high, I believe. Uh, it is interesting how things have perked up just after that election. A big change for Europe. And Europe is really scared to death of this virus. They're scared of oh, a yeah. second recession. Yet their stock market is going up. And it's yeah. just because I think they feel like the world's going to calm down. We're going to get on to a good growing economy here. And and Europe has an opportunity to get a piece of that action. And then I think they got a little bit of faith in their central banking system there to keep the money flowing, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So I really think it boils down to that investors are saying it's time to make investments around the world and trade other things, invest in other things. And the bottom line is that creates this movement out of the U.S. Uh, dollar. So I get all that. But normally... That's a long, drawn-out process, and that's exactly what happened in the 2000s. We can see the dollars, uh, I'm looking at the dollar index right now, and it was very strong going into 2000, on into 2001, and we remember the whole 2000K thing, and everybody was fearful and scared. Well, the dollar was going up because of primarily being scared, and we did fall into a recession, so the dollar popped into about January 2002. Well, that's about when the recession actually ended. 
And then the dollar collapsed all the way into late 2004, rallied in 2005, which was a bit interesting because it was actually a good year uh, for commodities. But when I say the dollar rallied, it barely just nicely picked its head up. It was just a small retracement. It was still well off the highs. And then it just fell even lower on into uh, 2008, in fact. And then that was the period where we actually had better inflation. We actually had better commodities. So my concern is throwing out this 20% number uh, on the dollar for 2021 can get everybody all excited and warm fuzzy over the idea of, boy, this must mean a huge amount of inflation is coming for 2021. Well, <laughs> as we've discussed, you know, we printed $6 trillion more or some crazy number like that. I yeah. mean, we're just... Yeah, it's no sense even looking at those charts because they're right straight up and you can't even find you can't even find on the chart where the dollar level or the amount of money we printed for your grandparents. I mean, it's right. <laughs> the chart is that bizarre. I mean, right. they're way down at the bottom and you can barely see it, right? So so I get that too. All right. We printed a lot of money and maybe there can be a sudden shock here on this inflation. But I don't think so. I'm thinking if this dollar is coming down a huge amount next year, you won't see the inflation really get excited until the following year and and over the next five years or so. Because I do see rising inflation this decade, no question about it. But I question to the degree. And I'm thinking, gosh, if you could drop the dollar from 2000 into 2002, maybe 2004, um, as much as I can see if I can actually go ahead and calculate that right now. But I, uh, it just looks like to me, it wasn't to 2005 to 2008 that we actually saw really strong commodity prices. Yeah, by the end of uh, by December 2004, it was down 33%. So that's what some people are comparing cities forecast saying, yeah, we've seen it drop that far before, but it's normally a more long drawn out process. So here's what I'm picking up for the rest of the gang out there from Wall Street. They're basically saying, uh, that's interesting, I just realized in 2002, it actually dropped about 17%. So really a 20% wouldn't be that necessarily that big of a change. However, we've already got the dollar off 10% from the high of this year, 4.4% from the close of last year. So I'm a little concerned. We've already seen a sizable drop. So I still question, can you get that 20% drop? But what I want to point out in commodities is really commodities were doing nothing by 2002. Right. Okay. <laughs> I remember going out making uh, speeches at financial planning groups and saying, you ought to pick up some commodities. And I was about thrown out of the room. You know, they said they're good for nothing. <laughs> so, right. yeah. and, and yet in 2002, I remember correctly calling a, a nice uh, crop problem there and, and made some money out of corn and soybeans as a bounce. But you know what? Uh, everybody just then walked away and they put the prices right back down after that. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was a tough time on commodities. So commodities really didn't wake up until that 2005-2008 period when the dollar had gone even lower than that 2000 uh, uh, to 2004 period. So that's what normally I'd say, gee, if the dollar is dropping 20% next year, I'm not so sure that's going to really explode commodities or inflation right away. Uh, I think it's a more long drawn out process. Now, at the same time, uh, that would be a sizable move in, in one year. So, and here, here's what I want to point out these days. This is where it could be different this time around. Today, there's such a thing called high-frequency data, and it's basically the data comes to you much faster than ever before, uh, in far greater detail, much more of it. And 
it's kind of linked to this whole concept of big data. And so they can dig things out that nobody ever used to even, they weren't even aware of such things. In other words, things like, okay, so how many hamburgers were sold this week? And did they have fries and a shake with that? Okay. Or did they instead get a salad? And believe it or not, Wall Street's studying these things. And they'll look at the gasoline. What did you buy in your credit card? How much gasoline did you rack up this week? Uh, they even do crazy things like, well, how, how, many, uh, how many lights were on last night or for this, this week at home? Uh, were people home more? Uh, did they leave the lights on a lot longer? Uh, what I haven't heard is anybody asking whether the offices had lights on. That would be an interesting thing, whether they stay on longer than not. So there is so much, many things people are studying that these days they react to this data much faster. And even if the data is met long-term, it should take us months to, to uh, react to it, to do something about it. They want to take care of it today. And it does make these markets more volatile and it make these markets not necessarily match up with the fundamentals we're used to uh, in the past. All right, so, all right, so I got a question for you real quick. So right now, I just pulled up the US dollar index. Right now, it's trading at 92.24. That means if it's off 20% this time next year, it'll be 72, somewhere between 70 and 75, right? We'll just say it like that. Mm -hmm. In the past, when you're those those other charts when you're talking about earlier in 2002 time frame, we saw a you know 17% decrease and a 13% decrease in those numbers that you had out there. Where was the dollar at at that point? Were they in, in the low 70s, the 80s? I mean, good, what, good, uh, where does that mean? Yeah. What's that mean when you get to the... Good, uh, good question, because actually by the end of 2004, it was just getting down to 80. And then 2005 was a nice little jump in the dollar, but again, it was well off the highs. Then it started lower again, and by 2007, it was lower than 2004. And then it bottomed early 2008, and my guess is the only reason it really suddenly shot up was because uh, the dollar people suddenly woke up. The country was falling apart into a recession uh, because of the, all the debt and, and that crisis, right? So in other words, if that crisis hadn't <laughs> occurred, dollar may have stayed down there. Now, that dollar by 2008 got down to 70. So that's an interesting scenario because... I've had this theory that for many years that if the dollar goes to 70s or lower, that's not a good sign economically, but it might be good for a commodity trader or a farm producer or a commodity producer. You might see high prices. And if you think about it, uh, commodity prices like corn went up from 2005 into 2008. And uh, and I I was correctly forecasting even before 2005. I said, man, you, you've got to expect a bull market by no later than 2008, and we ought to have a record high price. And why, why is it bad if it goes below 80? Well, you can, uh, you know, most economists will tell you, well, you want your country to have a strong currency, a strong dollar for, for the U.S. because it's a sign of a strong economy. And I've never quite believed that, but I must say it's in the textbooks. It's talked that way. But you can get, you can get the dollar too high and you can actually get it too low. And, and when it gets too low, you can actually have economic issues. I'm not saying some people aren't bit of benefiting from it but most of the country is probably losing. So you can get the dollar too low and you can get it too high. It ought to stay in some kind of a range. And I must say, looking at this chart tonight, to, to going down to 70, you'd make a case, well, you know, it, uh, yeah, we were on our way to a terrible financial crisis, so maybe 70 was forecasting 
doomsday coming, but you know what? It was a darn good run in, in energy markets and grains. So uh, I guess I would say below 80 is, is still actually inflationary and good for commodities. But I think you got to just watch out for the rest of the economy. The, the other side's getting hurt too severely and something's going to break, something's going to go bad. Uh, so one other question for you. Your point you made earlier about in 2002, you were speaking at, at some conferences and you told some people to pick up some um, some commodities and they about threw you out of the room. If that, if, yeah. So why was that at that particular time? Why was that? Why were commodities so such a stagnant? In the early 2000s, it was, it was too much supply. I remember people still complaining very much of the farm programs, just keeping too many farmers in business, keeping production high. And you got to remember, we had a recession in 2000 to 2001. In fact, some things for the economy, some sectors, and uh, was didn't bottom to 2002. In fact, I think I almost called the bottom of the market in 2002, or almost the other day, if I recall correctly. And uh, so that's what's interesting. The dollar really didn't turn down to 2002 and that would have been the year we would have been pulling up out of the recession that would have been so we're talking like uh obviously y2k and all that crap but more reeling from the dot-com bubble crash that's kind of when that yeah was that what caused that yeah okay yeah that was that was a big factor because you had the nasdaq index dropping like 85 percent a lot of people don't even remember that today but right yeah they keep thinking oh the 1929 crash but we don't realize we actually had a portion of our stock market that was basically a 1929 crash right so uh i remember buying uh no that was that was the later in the financial crisis. i remember buying russia actually in november 2008 and that was down 85 percent and i basically just bought it well the cycle's supposed to bottom and heck right. <laughs> i can write it down to zero if I'm, if it's already down 85 percent i can write it to zero <laughs> right right so i bought it yep. did well but but anyways it, it is interesting as i look at this that um the dollar went down after we started pulling out of the recession. And frankly, I got indicators right now saying, yeah, the recession's about, about over, or at least you've seen the worst. We're in, we're, well, we, are, we are in recovery. I mean, the economy is by no means to a new record high in size and volume and, and uh, value. We got a, a ways to go, but we're turning around here. And, you know, and we've already seen the dollar fall this year uh, by a sizable amount. Uh, it, my personal forecast is the dollar is going to drop 48% next year. Okay. And it sounds like the rest of the crowd is around 3%. And then cities coming in here at 20%. But I must say now looking to this, I kind of see some of their, their timing here that they think we're, if we can fix this virus thing, get this economy rolling, we're, we're setting up for that kind of scenario going into 2002. Okay. So, but again, anybody wants to rush out there and, buy commodities like crazy and land and everything else. I, I don't know whether that's, uh, if you look at this, it, it took a while before that really worked, you know? All right, so, so, I, I, so what about I'm this? Concerned. Go ahead. Okay, so what about this? All right, so with the current situation with commodities right now, right? So we have Midas La Nina situation that's taking place. We've got um, the USDA is more than likely going to, in, in the January report, more than likely is going to be, um, maybe one to three bushels off of where they were in that November report. Um, right. As far as, as what the actual, you know, ending stocks and carry out and those kind of things. And that, in that, that was the report. When you see that come out, they could be anywhere between one and three bushels off of where they were. That's going to play a big effect in what we see happening uh, across the spectrum with corn and soybeans, both. Um, and then 
assuming that we stay in this weather market, which you have to wait to see about mid-December before we really make a big a big turn in, in what that looks like in Brazil right now, in Argentina, with uh, the dryness they're seeing down there. Um, if the dollar goes into that, that 75 range, what does that mean for commodities at that point? Well, um, let's see, in 2005 to... Yeah, uh, boy, you get down, you get it below 80. You start talking 77, 75 in the dollar index. And as long as your economy is, is in decent shape, and normally it would be growing quite well, actually, um, then I would say uh, you got better, you, you know, you just have more opportunities to see seasonal up moves during a year just from normal demand of looking at 450, 480 corn. Uh, I would feel safer forecasting that you get the dollar that low, it's very under a very good crop year, prices will go below 350, uh, say a harvest. Because, and I feel safer saying that because if you look back over the last seven years, corn has spent very little time. It's like 20% down to 10% of the time below 350 on the futures. Right. So, what that tells you, is as soon as it goes below 350, somebody starts tapping the brakes. That supply is not going to move through the uh, pipeline. Uh, the bend door is being shut. And the other side is saying, I can't find the corn. I got to bid it back up 350 if I want it. Okay. So that's a good, to me, that's a very good economic level based on futures. Okay. So your cash price obviously can be something different. But um, I think that works. And let's face it, this year we put corn pretty close to three bucks. Uh, of all the fears, this virus was not going away, politics blowing up, and the trade was going to be terrible. And even when they started detecting that they were getting better demand, maybe the phase one trade deal would work, we're seeing better exports, they got scared going into that August low that it was still a great crop. It was still 181 bushel. Yeah. And they were they were basically saying, I don't care how much demand you got. It's not good enough. Yeah. And then from, the, from that August low, when USDA gave them that report, and then, of course, by September, we also got the stocks report that helped out. And you could just see, <laughs> it's funny how it works. You know, you go through six bearish reports, and next thing you know, you got six bullish reports. Well, that's just what's been going on. So to me, this this kind of dollar scenario, if it really does that next year, and we start bumping inflation three to four percent next year on in the following year. Um, to me, it just helps make things more buoyant that it's, it just shouldn't even go anywhere near three bucks. And I don't know why three fifty wouldn't hold that. There's just not going to be any corn available below three fifty. Okay, so what same scenario, but the dollar reacts to your four to eight percent decrease, which would be somewhere in that. 85 range to 90 85, range. 88, which yeah. I tell you, I've loved that area for years. Now that also gets you back to the low in 2017. And I don't have my export chart up there, but it, I recall it's doing pretty good actually. But I, uh, I think that's all we really need to have a good, good exports for this country. And keep in mind, it's not just about the grain markets. You get the, you get that dollar moving lower. It's everything that we export right. does better. I mean, it's good for our economy. I, I fully believe in what Goldman Sachs is saying. Well, you better dial in problems here in the next few months for the economy because of the virus. But later on, you better dial in a surge in our economy. I, I really, uh, I, I've been thinking three and a half to four point two percent GDP, and here we haven't been able to even get three percent in several years now. 
And I, I had in the back of my mind five five percent or so, and then Golden Sox come out with a five point two, which I thinks one of the highest of a whole group of them. It is interesting how some of these major firms, some of their analysts are getting so volatile coming up with all these things, 20% down in the <laughs> dollar and right. 5.2% GDP. Uh, you know, it, it, to me, it means, let's put it this way, we have a crop problem. I don't know why corn would even stop at five bucks if you give me a 5% GDP and a 3% inflation and you give me a drop down to 85 in the dollar index. I don't know why in the world it would stop at five bucks. Right. So what's about it, this? So what about this? So the, uh, a couple other things is what we're talking about, the fourth quarter GDP and Goldman Sachs cutting that back in half. Um, and I can't find the article that I was talking about to start with, but the idea being that there was that we're basing that off of the lack of stimulus, right, going into the fourth quarter. And then I found another article where they were talking about the first and second quarter of 21 and that they were expecting a, a real explosion in the GDP, like up to, I've, I've seen um, anywhere from, from 4 to 6%. Like it's been a big, a big, big jump. And a lot of that was based around <clears throat> two things. One is stimulus and two, uh, virus help or vaccine help, uh, for the coronavirus. Right. Um, so you see this, this big, big kind of layout of, of growth in, in our GDP and what you just said, you know, give me 5% GDP and give me, you know, a, a, a high eighties, um, dollar. And then we have a crop problem. Do you think we could see 2008 style, 2012 style prices of corn and soybeans at that point? Uh, boy, in my younger days, I'd say absolutely. But today, there are so many new twists and turns going on in our economy. Uh, it's interesting how things could could peak uh, out sooner than that. I, I still have a super cycle saying be mindful of chance for record highs from now until about 2036 or something like that. And then you better get worried that you won't see a record high for the rest of the century. <laughs> okay? right. But um, it's, the door is open for it to happen. I must say in the last uh, three to five years, I've seen changes compared to what I saw in the 2000s when I first started saying, hey, we can have record highs all the way in the 2030s. It's definitely trimming the upside off. But I, um, gosh, I still think we got an opportunity like the uh, corn sometime in the next. And, you know, we could hit the perfect storm because also keep in mind, even if the crop problem doesn't hit next year, uh, I'm giving it all the way to 2024 for a cyclical crop problem. And we can have more than one year. It could, it could, it could be a rather interesting pattern, broken up a bit too. And the point is, even you might say, well, boy, if they're going to drop the dollar 20%, I need that crop problem this year or I can't get those super high prices. Now, I wouldn't say that at all because you drop the dollar 20%, it's probably not going to like skyrocket the next year. Mm -hmm. It's probably coming back slowly. And meanwhile, your economy by then will be record large moving forward. And we should have some better inflation. Okay. So... I think that inspires at least the speculative side in the futures trading world to help support these futures. And now you throw a crop problem on and it's like you just lit a match to a, you know, a 50 gallon drum of gasoline versus a one gallon can of gasoline. Right and so, you know, I, I can definitely see above $5. It, it, but these scenarios are giving us, even if we don't get the prop problem next year, I seriously doubt you could do enough damage over the following three years to the economy 
to get things all the way back to where we're back in the rut again. And oh, gee whiz, we just got a crap problem and the corn market hardly picked its head up. It's, uh, we, this is it's setting up to a very nice scenario, and now we just need the real crop problem. <laughs> right, yeah. Okay, so I found that article finally, the one I was talking about. So it says U.S. GDP will be back. This is a Business Insider, and this is a, a Goldman Sachs uh, article here. It says U.S. GDP will be back to pre-pandemic levels by mid-21 under a Biden presidency and a vaccine Progress continues, Goldman says. The article here says there will be growth of 3.5% in the first quarter of 21. Uh, the team lead... Da, 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 see the, that's the that's half of the 7% growth previously forecast. So they're, they're acting like there's going to be... Goldman thinks there's going to be somewhere between a 6 and 7% GDP growth in... Uh, well, Jeez. the GDP is going to be 6 and 7% in 21. Not growth, but from where it's at, up to 7. So that's... Uh, that's a pretty big swing in our GDP. Yeah, it, it's it's going to be interesting, especially on the Congress uh, political side of things, because at one hand, you could say uh, Biden won't have the ammunition he had because he didn't really, you know, didn't take over uh, Congress, basically. The Democrats didn't. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I see some changes coming on the Republican side. There's a different mentality out there. I'm not yeah. so sure. I'm not so sure a lot of them, especially the younger Republicans, I don't know if they want to fight tooth and nail on a lot of this stuff so i think ultimately the money's going to be printed again it's going to get spent it's going to flow through the system I and mean, the federal reserve's working very hard to figure out why doesn't all this money flow through the way it did long many many years ago uh and what do we do about it i mean those are the conversations they're having in the office i'm convinced of it and they're gonna they're gonna figure it out and and i'm convinced it's well, my models are picking up. It might not have the true details, uh, exact story, but I'm pretty confident the models are right. We're going to get some higher inflation. And in fact, I've got some numbers projected uh, already going into 2032 when inflation could be at 5%. And here we are tr just trying to keep it above 2% right now. <laughs> so, right. Uh, and it's interesting. Now, the model that I'm using here, inflation, isn't even looking at really my, my, um, my business cycle, especially for forecasts like stock market and GDP and stuff. And it's our, it shows the inflation dipping right around that 2030 mark when we're supposed to have a recession. And inflation will normally come down in the recession. So it's just fascinating. It's showing me what I'm seeing in all my other models. So yeah, there probably will be a recession there in 2030s. But in the meantime, it's showing this gradual rise, maybe a few spikes here and there. Of, of inflation. And uh, I just think, I think by next year, I mean, this year already, I haven't seen, I don't, I'm not sure where we're going to finish this year with inflation, but it's already running a little bit better than I would have expected a few years ago. And that just encouraged me, yeah, that this is going to work in the next few several years. And uh, give you some examples how inflation works, because it's interesting how, let's see, and so in 2000, it was 3.36 uh, inflation, dropped to 2.85, and then 1.58 uh, for 2002, and then by 2.2 or had 2.28 by 2003. So your bottom was the bottom was in 2002, and that's pretty much yeah, that's the, what I assume the recession was over by then. And then you just see inflation rising all the way into 2008 when we get to 3.84, and that was our high priced year. Uh, for commodities, you know, that's when crude oil knocked it high and course there. And <laughs> it's like, and then of course, 
we got hit with the financial crisis and recession, and our inflation actually went minus the very next year in 2009. So, uh, so I'm looking at 2019, which my source here in inflation, I think, is fairly accurate. And they're posting it at 1.81 for 2019. My guess is, geez, I, you know, a lot of prices rose even with this virus recession when you would normally think the economy would actually hurt it and knock prices down instead of it rose, right? And this partially could be because of the stimulus. It's partially because people realized, you know, this is this is different this time. This isn't like any other recession. This isn't just business falling apart on its own. This is a man-engineered thing related to something from nature. So I think it kind of encouraged people, don't lose their minds. Encourage companies, well, let's not sell everything dirt cheap just because, you know, no reason running a fire sale. So my guess, I'm looking at 1.81 from 2019. I think we're going to finish above, uh, boy, how about, I don't know why we can't get back to 2.4% inflation this year on 20, and that was 2018's number. So I think three to three to five percent inflation is quite feasible here in the next uh, few years on into the towards the latest decade. What are your thoughts on the fact that so much of this GDP growth is based on stimulus and not necessarily? And I mean, is it the fact that they feel like Biden's going to be more friendly to the idea of stimulus packages? And I mean, I don't know how much more friendly he could be towards stimulus based on what we just went through with. With Trump as far as yeah, six no, billion, six uh, trillion dollars or whatever it was we pumped out there, I don't know how much more friendly he could be than that. Yeah, I mean that is a problem. The GDP as it rises, it couldn't be picking up on again too much of the Wall Street banker money and not really flowing down to middle class and poor. But I think if you look at the political movements, I think if you look at what the Fed wants to see, it, it's probably going to work. They're trying to figure out how to open those doors, get more of that money into the middle class. And poor. Now, as far as Biden wanting more stimulus, I mean, the Republicans will give them some headwind, just like they did with Obama. But I, I think something's changing this time around where they can't do it as much. Now, he can still be limited in the sense that uh, what will the Treasury do? And that is a little concern tonight for me, uh, because this week, Mnuchin, uh, Secretary of Treasure, Treasury, uh, came out and said that he was not going to back uh, Federal Reserve on some of those programs. In fact, he wanted $455 billion back <laughs> that they hadn't spent yet. And right away, it hit the news headlines that, wow, the Federal Reserve is fighting with the Treasury these days. And where is this country going? Oh, my gosh. Well, it turns out the Federal Reserve and Treasury have always been arguing for forever, apparently. But they keep it to themselves normally. And yeah. here it is now, right in the wide open, you know, let's throw out our dirty laundry here. <laughs> <Let's>, <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. So, you know, it does bother me that uh, that could be a problem. But, uh, you know, that'll change as soon as Biden's got his people in there and he's up and running, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, saw that article, that, too, there about, you know, he wanted half a billion dollars back that if they're not yeah. going to use it, give it back. So. I would tend to think the money that's already been spent, it's difficult to spend that much more, but you got to realize there's still more to go. And it's just that the Congress has really never in 10 years or more really done what it could have. And they've thrown all the responsibility on the Fed Reserve. And then if there is a crisis, actual recession, and they get fearful depression, then uh then the Treasury gets sucked into that. they got to help along with the Federal Reserve. Yep. And I'm sure they're arguing now that they think we're pulling out of this recession. So why do we need to do more? Let, let everybody pull themselves up with the bootstraps. Remember, we have heard that for many years. And I do think there was, has been a mentality in that. But the way Powell's talking over the Federal Reserve, he does not want 
he's not forcing everybody to do that. He's he's more than willing to put put something out there, but he'd like to see Congress get their act together and do something along with the Federal Reserve, which I think that'll change. I'm willing to give it a chance. You know, first my once after minutes after Biden got elected, I thought, yeah, but look at look at the the lineup there for the Senate and, uh, and the reps, the House representatives. And I'm thinking, gosh, you know, we're going to be at the same headwinds during Obama. And I can remember all the complaints. The economy was going to crash a second time. And I remember forecasting, no, it's just going to do fine. We'll make it. And, and it did. But this time, maybe I'm too hopeful. But this time, I'm hopeful a little less politics and uh, they can kind of move move forward there. I, I think these forecasts that are coming out are correct. It's just the higher end ones, you know, like right. 5% GDP. Like it's on my table as well. But I'm taking it one step at a time and saying, well, I, I think we can get to four percent, and then I'll I'll reevaluate. Then if it goes to five, I'm even more right. So I like right, <laughs> right, okay. As as long as as long as we can get, you know, oh, man, we, I mean, we've been bouncing around two point three, two and a half percent GDP for some time, which most of the time I'm actually fine with that. But boy, you can see it's it's really gone on too long. There's, there's something wrong with that now. It's not such a good thing anymore. We need it. We need to get it over three percent. Do we need five percent? I, I don't. To me, that's just making things better than you really need. I'll take it. I'm not going to stand in the way of it. <laughs> so, right. But, you know, I'm, I'm really encouraged here. I, I think we have an opportunity in these next four years to uh, – I, I think this virus has done some other things as far as people's mentality. You know, I, right. I, think the, I think once they feel like, okay, we got that thing licked, I think they're going to feel like, you know, I ought to take on some more risk. I ought to do something. I ought to get more out of life, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot of talk now, even in some of these political scientists saying, man, both sides, especially the youngsters coming up, you can just see, you know, we got to try something different here. We're just muddling along, you know. Right. So I think this could be a wake up, uh, wake up. And uh, so I'll stick my forecast. I'm staying on forecast of rising GDP. Yes, some rising inflation, but I think that's going to be more of a good thing than bad. And the same thing with interest rates. I, I don't think they can. Uh, Scream the interest rates high enough, uh, maybe on a short-term basis they can to hurt us a little bit, but it'll just correct, and then you'll start up again. And uh, so, uh, and so, I'm definitely staying on my forecast of a better global economy here in the next four years, and that's what we really need in commodities. We got really good domestic demand here. Our crush is fantastic in soybeans, and we're, we use it. Our, we're okay there, despite the virus recession. Everybody ate and ate well <laughs> if they had the money. I, I, you know, by no means am I. Uh, not, uh, I, I acknowledge that the people standing in food lines even today in this country, and that, that's sad. That, that should not be happening to us. Yep. But, it, uh, but on balance, though, we've, we've had good uh, domestic demand here. Right. And, uh, and it's the rest of the world has been a tough time. I mean, you look over the past 10 years, they've just been dragging their feet trying to catch up with us. And I think this 10 years, it's time for them to... Uh, to wake up and to me i'm already seeing some signs there i think it looks encouraging and uh, and that'll just they'll just come right back to us and that's you know like i say when i think the 20 percent drop in the dollar is a bit overdone at the same time uh, (laughs) i don't want to stand in the way of anybody forecasting lower dollar because not only is it good for our exports but it's actually a feedback loop i say it actually helps other countries which i realize some dollar people might say well it shouldn't because their dollar's going up so now they can't export as much well, that's difficult to prove on a year-to-year basis that sometimes you see Brazil just exporting just as much, but the U.S. is exporting even more, you know? And it's, it's just a sign the whole world is uh, they're doing better and they're spending the money. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think that's the key here. <laughs> we got to get it in the next four years where people are spending spending more money than they have in the prior four years. I think that's I think it's a strong possibility right now. Yep. So yeah, I won't. Uh, city seems to be a little on the crazy side here to me, but uh, as we just discussed, looking at these charts, looking at the, the, the years tonight, hey, it happened in early two thousand, and it happened right after recession ended. And here we are working on putting an end to a recession. And the dollar is down. And here you got forecast uh, willing to, uh, you got people out there saying, yeah, and it can go down quite a bit more. Yep. But uh, like I say, don't be disappointed if you're on the commodity side and you want that 20% down here. I'm saying, oh, it's a sure <laughs> that happens right. because I think there'll yeah. be great things here. Great things going on at 88 to 85 in the dollar. And I, I, I think it's going there. So we'll, we'll see what happens yep. as always. <laughs> exactly. Well, you uh, you told me you didn't have much to talk about, and we've been going for about forty two minutes. So I feel like you had plenty to talk about. <laughs> I looked at my stuff here and there the week, and I said, "Gee, this only take fifteen minutes." <laughs> so yeah, we uh, good stuff. I mean, there's ton of to me. That's a big deal, you know. So you know, I think that there's a there's a. a there's a lot of pessimistic people out there right now that are also talking about and this could be a whole nother podcast to talk about this this one topic but you know if you listen to people like peter schiff and and um i can't not some other names escape me off the top of my head here but between 21 and 22 they're talking like some serious decline in the stock market not just like off by five percent but you know 25 30 40 50 percent declines in in the stock market if those kind of things happen then we're looking at some some epic things you know depressionary style stuff happening and and they're they're claiming that has everything to do with um the decline in the dollar and the lack of faith in the u.s dollar because of the you know the amount of the money that we're printing and those kind of things so we'll save that for for a rainy day but that's a that could be the next next topic when you when you come on next and talk about that and what that looks like to you but you know uh you know, Rich, thanks for being on the podcast. And if folks want to reach out to you and uh, get some information from you, also listen to your podcast. What's the best way for them to do that? Uh, they can, uh, for the podcast, go to criticalpoint.podbean.com and you'll find a list of video audio there and you'll find a place to subscribe to it. And that one is all inclusive. I have a variety of commodities, stock market, lots of updates. I have a new podcast out, but unfortunately, you'd only have to get it on the Podbean app. You'd have to load the app on your phone, and it's only on your phone. Uh, but that service is just for the long-term investor. It helps out with the, um, the beginner-type investor working on his retirement account, but but it also can dovetail nicely with the financial planner trying to figure out the long-term trend. And we're just getting that up and running here. Uh, but that's a nice way of, um, if you're interested in just the stock market. But if you want the commodities or commodities and stocks, yeah, go to criticalpoint.podbean.com. And that one you can get on your computer or on your phone. Um, and then if you do ever want to direct uh, message me uh, on Twitter or anything, my Twitter handle is Rich underscore Pawson, uh, and that's P-O-S-S-O-N. And you can also email me at rich at ag-financial.com. Right on, Rich. Well, thanks for being on the podcast. Reach out to Rich. He's got just an epic amount of information that he can throw out there to you guys and 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 uh, make sure you check out his podcast um some of those are free and they're any they range anywhere from 
I listened to one that was five minutes the other day, and I've listened to ones that were 20 minutes. So, I mean, good good amount of information that flows out there, and he gets right to the point and no fluff. So, Rich, again, thanks for being on the podcast on such short notice. Thank you. Glad to be here. All right. Well, I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you're going to find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast, as well as any blogs that I write. Uh, they'll get posted there as well. My website is movingironllc.com. You can find the podcast there. You can find them on my blogs that I've written, as well as all the information for the Moving Iron Summit in Nashville, Tennessee, January 20th through the 22nd. Um, that is open to all equipment dealers in North America. So um, if you want to come to that, you know, feel free to hit me up at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com. Also, all the information that you need to register for the event is there on the podcast um, under. I think it's hotel reservations and stuff like that are all there as well. So um, Global Ag Network is a great place to find other ag-related podcasts out there. So check that out. And with that, I am Casey Seymour with Rich Possum. Let's go move some iron, folks. Out. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Time again Through the years You'll find us here